Hello, this is Rebecca. This week on the podcast, we're revisiting our favourite episodes from 2023, and today you'll get to hear mine. But just before I reveal what it's going to be, a reminder that if you have enjoyed the show this year, please do consider joining Club Retrospectors. If you are a fan, it's a great way to show your appreciation and you get a heap of benefits as well. For less than £1 a week, you'll be supporting our independent podcast, you'll get an ad-free feed of the show in your podcast app, and you'll hear our full-length Sunday episodes one whole year before they're released on the free feed. You'll also unlock over 100 exclusive bonus bits from the archive. You can join Club Retrospectors now at patreon.com slash retrospectors or via Apple Podcasts. Why not take out a free trial and give it a go? Every penny you give us helps support this show. Okay, so on to my favourite episode of 2023, and mine was The Counterfeit Queen of Soul, the story that was all about the singer Vicky Jones, who was plucked from obscurity and basically made to impersonate Aretha Franklin to audiences around the American South. And as to why I loved it so much, you know, on this show, we cover a lot of those quirky little historical oddities, and this is definitely a story that is full of them. I mean, I was especially fascinated that in the era before pop stars were streamable in 4K, there was a whole industry of unknown singers being advertised as little Richard or James Brown by unscrupulous promoters. But my favourite stories we cover are the ones that they're not just oddities, they've got a dark undertone to them. There's something more to the story and this definitely fits the bill. You know, I was so fascinated by the parallels between Vicky Jones and Aretha Franklin. They were both the same age, both being trapped in these turbulent, toxic relationships at the time, and obviously both of them talented singers. But their lives had diverged so far apart until this bizarre incident that momentarily blended them. Such an interesting story and uh, I mean, you know the limitations of 10 minutes, like so many topics we cover on the show, there are so many ins and outs to this story that we didn't have time to cover. Yeah, it really is a story that's worth reading into because what she went through was incredible uh, and it's just an amazing story and a real example of something that could never ever happen today. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll be back with brand new episodes on the 1st of January 2024 See you then! If you were living in Backwater, Florida in 1969, a live concert in your town from the reigning Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, would seem too good to be true. And of course it was, because it was today in history that a struggling single mother from Virginia, one Vicky Jones, was arrested on fraud charges after successfully impersonating Aretha Franklin at multiple sold-out shows. Yeah, and she'd been tracked down by the chief investigator at the Marion County Sheriff's Office, a chap named Towles Bigelow. Surely not. Uh, well, no, that's, that's the <laughs> They've all got real Florida sheriffs. Yeah. Well. His partner's a bit more boringly named Martin Stevens, uh, and they together tracked down uh, both Vicky Jones, this was her stage name, and her partner in crime, Lavelle Hardy, and arrested them at Ocala's Club Valley Nightclub and immediately threw them in their car and took them to a police station and charged them with false advertising. As you say, their bond was set at $500. But the fascinating thing is that Jones said that she wasn't guilty because she'd basically been kidnapped, fed burgers, um, this is a weird little detail, and kept away from her family and was completely innocent of the crime. She said, I'm not Aretha, I don't look like her, I don't dress like her, and I sure don't have her money, and basically said, I'm not guilty of all of the crimes I've been accused of. Yeah, so her story was that she had been plucked from obscurity, basically, by Hardy, who'd spotted her at her local nightclub singing Aretha Franklin songs, but not pretending to be Aretha Franklin, (laughs) had spotted the business opportunity in marketing her as the real Aretha Franklin and then milking that cash for his personal coffers. But worse than that, hadn't fully told her that that was the plan, taken her on the road, and then when she sussed what was going on, 
kept her locked up in kind of modern day slavery. There's so many amazing facets to this story. But just first of all, on the point of you're an Aretha Franklin fan, you've gone to see Aretha Franklin. How would you not know this wasn't Aretha Franklin? (laughs) I know. I think the fact it's 1969 is really worth just taking a moment to pause on because there were doubts apparently in the audience that um, Jones didn't look like the pictures people had seen of Aretha Franklin. But in those days, all you had was the pictures you'd seen on the album cover and some fuzzy TV, black and white TV, Ed Sullivan show going on. So they didn't know what she looked like. And she was so good that at the point at which she opened her mouth and started singing, all of those fears were assuaged just because she was such a good impressionist that people were willing to buy into it. Maybe they'd also paid their money and they'd had enough booze that they were willing to forgive. Let's talk a little bit about her. So um, she did have a gospel heritage. She was in a gospel group and the reverend who was in charge had said all along that she was his favourite singer, that she was a natural talent. Um, She didn't appear to require any special effort. She had a beautiful voice when she sang. But her name wasn't Vicky Jones. As Arian said, that was her stage name. She was born Mary Jane Jones. And the reason she adopted the stage name was because she wanted to keep her place in the gospel outfit whilst performing in some rather seedy nightclubs. And, of course, this was a time when the sort of songs Aretha Franklin was singing was considered the devil's music by gospel groups. She didn't want her reverend to find out. Mm. But she needed the money. This was her evening side hustle because back home she had a useless alcoholic husband and four children to support. Yeah, she had four boys under the age of 12 at the time. And you can see how she felt like she had a lot in common with Aretha. They were both born in the same year. They were both 27. They both became mothers young. Jones had her first baby at 16. Aretha was just 12 when she had her first child. And they both had these horrible, abusive marriages. It's easy to see why Jones looked up to her. And so she did Aretha Franklin covers as part of her act. And this is where Hardy spotted her. He was 24 at the time, and he had had a very, very minor hit the previous year called Don't Lose Your Groove. It peaked at number 42. But he also had a bit of a niche ripping off James Brown. It wasn't clear whether he actually impersonated him or whether he just ripped him off. Both, mm. I think. I think he, so he would also do James Brown covers, but if he felt he could get away with it, he'd build himself as James Brown. <laughs> One night only, James Brown and Aretha Franklin. <laughs> that's a pig. <laughs> Perform at the Pink Garter yeah. in Virginia. I mean, that tells you it's not them, doesn't it? But anyway. So he approached Jones after a show that they both performed at, and he told her that Aretha Franklin was going to perform in Florida and that he could get her a slot as an opening act, probably leaning on his very modest chart success, you know, which would apparently pay her $1,000 for a six-night engagement. She was desperate for money, an opportunity and a chance to meet her idol, you'd assume. So she agreed. I mean, she was so poor she had to borrow money for the bus fare. Mm. I mean, I had a quick look and to drive from Petersburg, Virginia, where she lived to Melbourne, Florida, which is where she ended up, that's a 10-hour drive in a car. So by bus, you're looking at more than 10 hours on the road. She was away from her sons. It was the first time she'd ever been to Florida. So by the time she turned up, she must have been completely emotionally and physically exhausted. And this was the point where Hardy broke the news. There was no Aretha. The concert was an unauthorised setup. And Jones was to go on stage as Aretha. Yeah, so she played three of these gigs. It was called the Aretha Franklin Review in small towns across Florida. And after every performance, the Aretha in question would dash to her dressing room and hide. And I think these were sort of test shows in a way for Hardy. He wanted to know whether he Mm. could pass her off successfully. And having done it in a way that actually he did seem to be getting away with it, he then began talking about this 
potentially lucrative 10-night tour. I guess he also wanted for Jones to start getting comfortable with the role of not just sort of doing a cover act, but actually trying to inhabit the person of Aretha Franklin. And simultaneously, it seems the story does bear out that she was being kept hostage by him. I mean, I guess if you're thinking, why didn't she just, when she realised what the setup was, turn around and go home again... She literally didn't have the money for the bus fare home. Yeah. So she was stuck there. She was reliant on him to pay her something. And of course, even though the gigs went well and people believed she was Aretha Franklin, he didn't give her any of that money. And he also allegedly threatened her life. He said that he would kill her and toss her body in the ocean. Yeah, so she'd performed these three shows, you know, small locations. And this is when Hardy started to get a bit greedy. He booked them into the Hi-Hat Club in Fort Myers, which is a 1,400-seat venue. And apparently when she walked out in her Aretha wig and a floor-length yellow gown modelled on the one that Aretha wore herself, the club's owner, Clifford Hart, said, some people who'd seen Aretha before said it wasn't her, but nobody was real sure. And then that hesitation disappeared when she opened her mouth although it's it's not quite clear how many of them thought that it was actually Aretha because her voice was so good and how many of them were just really really impressed at how much mm. she sounded like Aretha but either way the reception was really ecstatic she was getting standing ovations cheers and this is when Hardy got too greedy he booked the southeastern livestock pavilion in ocala now i know that sounds like a very provincial name but it is a 4200 seat venue and the population of ocala is 22,000 people and he put up posters all around town advertising the concert and this is what finally drew the notice of aretha franklin's lawyers they contacted the ocala prosecutor gus musley who had already brought tickets for himself and his wife who was a big fan of aretha you've already said what the population was that's one in five people were going yeah Yes, <laughs> and it was also, I mean, it had come to Aretha Franklin's attention because she was actually in Miami at the time and was basically like, hang on, there's someone who, <laughs> am I performing here or <laughs> what is going on? And so her lawyers then contacted Musler and it was at that stage he realized that the tickets that he held for Aretha Franklin's <laughs> show were not actually to go and see Aretha Franklin. <laughs> so she gets arrested and she spills the beans and she says, look, I'm not Aretha Franklin. I never wanted to pretend to be Aretha Franklin. I'm being held against my will. I'm, this is where the hamburgers come in. All I'm being fed is two hamburgers a day. Mm -hmm. I don't have any autonomy in this situation. I cannot leave. Uh, you need to arrest Hardy as well. And they did. And he had thousands of dollars on his person, whilst Jones had nothing. So that seemed to back up her story. And this ended up in court. And this is where you get to the detail that sounds like it would be in the movie version of this story, but couldn't have possibly happened in real life, but <laughs> no. it did happen. Which is crucial to the case was the judge said to Jones, OK, can you sing to me in the courtroom? Because if you legitimately sound like Aretha Franklin, then I might just conclude that no one was ripped off here. And so with some hesitancy, apparently, but nonetheless, she did sing in the courtroom... And the judgment was, wow, you've got an amazing voice. It was like Simon Cowell's The Judge. You've got an amazing voice. And therefore, even though technically you did defraud thousands of spectators at your various performances, your performance was indistinguishable from Aretha Franklin. Therefore, people got their money's worth. No harm done. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's extraordinary precedent to set. They got a good show, so let's forget about yeah. it. <laughs> With the judgment was kind of, you're amazing. Someone better sign her up immediately. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Waiting for yeah. her outside the courtroom was a chap called Ray Green, who was a Jacksonville lawyer slash entrepreneur who had just really become fixated on her story as it unfolded in the press. And he signed her up and got her a spot on the Florida leg of Duke Ellington's tour around the country. And Hardy, in case you're wondering what happened to him, he got let off too. And the argument apparently that the judge brought was like, well, he's been milk dry by the legal fees. Like all the proceeds from this fraud have now gone on his legal fees. So what's the point of putting him in prison? So he walked as well. They probably also got him to do his James Brown and they were like, that is also <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Everyone is innocent. clipped his way out of the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. It was pretty bold knowing that Richard was going to the Third Crusade to just abduct his sister and fiancé. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.